you've got your Bible with you, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 11. Now for all those here who are regulars with us, you think, I know you're thinking, we didn't do enough worship yet. (laughs) Well, we're changing things up a little bit today, and uh, we will do more uh, in a little bit after I share some things with you. Everybody okay today? All right. You haven't gotten ripped off. He's totally going to preach for an hour. (laughs) If you're lucky. Luke chapter 11. Father, we're so thankful today for your word. May the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. May we receive the knowledge of you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 reads, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to him who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, we've been in a series of messages for the last couple of weeks. This series I've entitled Desire, and we're talking about seeking God. We're talking about how it's built into our DNA that if we will seek something, that we will find it. God just created that. You could say it's a law of the universe. You could say it's a part of God's kingdom. It's absolutely true. It's the way He designed us, uh, that when we seek after something, we find what we're looking for. And that's good news if you are committed to seeking something, if you're committed to going after something. And and really what we seek is based on what we desire. And we've discovered already in the Word that, that good things happen and bad things happen from the foundation of what somebody wants. And if I want the right thing, well, I'm setting myself up, or if I've decided to want the, th- the right thing, and you can, by the way, I've set it, I'm setting myself up uh, to experience good things in my life. If I desire the wrong stuff, well, unless something happens to interrupt that before it's complete, because there's a process there, uh, then I'm going to end up reaping the results of a bad desire. But it all starts there. Okay, desire is, is one of the strongest things that govern and, 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 and drive our lives into the place of, uh, of where it's going. Now, when I'm speaking about this subject, understand that the end result of this is that you find God in all of His fullness. That you get all your prayers answered. That you are able to show other people how to do the very same thing. You could say that's really the, one of the primary goals of everything we do. Because like I've said numerous times, especially of late, my desire is simply to get you not to just connect with me. I mean, we we're communicating now, but to, but to ultimately connect with the Lord. To have a strong relationship with Him. To have intimate fellowship with God where He is so very real to you, He's more real than the person you're sitting to, uh, sitting next to. Uh, where, you, where He is so real to you that your communication with Him, your prayers are answered 100% of the time. I mean, do you think that's biblical? 
It's absolutely biblical. To any degree that we experience it less than that, we've missed the mark somewhere. We misunderstand. We're going after the wrong thing. There's something, there's something awry here. <laughs> okay? Because that's not whatever what the Lord promised that we would seek and most of the time not get it. We would ask and most of the time not get it. That's just not God's plan. And so I want to raise our game. I want to increase our relationship with God to where there is such a connection with Him that all these things, um, they just work. I mean, that just makes a whole lot of sense to me. That you have a walk with God and stuff works in your life. That before you came to Him, it was hit and miss. Probably more miss than hit. You know, batting average wasn't very high, had a lot of failure, a lot of struggles, a lot of problems. But when you get connected with God, things start working. I know some have been, uh, I think, duped into this belief that when you're with God, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you better get ready for all hell to break loose. (laughs) You know, because, and then the idea is, well, if you're doing right and if you're walking with the Lord, then the devil hates you. And, uh, and so he's going to try to throw everything he's got at you and, and, and mess your life up. Well, I don't doubt that the enemy might want to do that. But also, I'm in a relationship with God and he's like really big. He's really strong. He is very smart. He knows all. And he, and he loves me. I'm not going to get into a relationship with God and expect all hell to break loose. Because, oh, now I'm living right. Now I've got opposition. I've got the greater one living in me. Any opposition is is puny. Anything the enemy wants to throw at you, it is absolutely nothing. And let's get these things in perspective. And and to the degree that we have magnified a religious system or even a, a church above our relationship with God, that's where we get confused in this issue. Amen. Let's go back to our message and uh, and talk about what we desire, what we're seeking for. Um, I, I know this. I am where I am with God today because I want Him. I don't mean to. T- I don't mean that in a, a proud way, like I'm taking credit. I, without His grace, I would have nothing. None of us would. But I am where I am because I have desired Him and I have pursued an understanding. An experiential relationship with God. And I am going to be next year and the year after where I will be because of what I am going after today. What I desire in my life today. And if I can help at all to stir something on the inside of you that will cause you to act in such a way where you will obtain all that God has for you. A relationship with Him that is beyond your wildest dreams. Then I feel like I've done a good job. And we've all got to be doers of the word. But there is, a, uh, there is a God way to get stuff and there's a man way. Even in this seeking principle, there is a God way to get things. There's a man way. His way is peaceable. It's gentle. It's full of fruit. Uh, man's way is full of envy. It's full of strife. And, uh, and again, what you want in life is what you're going to seek. And so we've not only got, we not only need to, Make sure our wants are right wants, and we can do that. They can be altered. But we then act on those things, pursuing the right thing. And as a final uh, result, uh, we understand that our, uh, our desires can be altered, and therefore we can receive what we want. Now, in Luke chapter 11, we've been reading verse 9 and 10 last couple of weeks. Go back to verse 5 with me. Luke 11, verse 5. 
Many times the principles have stories with them that we teach. They have context. Verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, then the Lord Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find knock, and it'll be open unto you. Okay? Now, it's interesting, whenever you read stories like this, and there's some others that Jesus uh, told that are directly related in different gospel accounts, like of the unjust judge and so forth, where people have kind of gotten the idea that is directly opposite of what he was teaching. And that's the idea from this, man, I'm banging on my friend's door at midnight, and if I just, if I just have the gall or the importunity to just uh, keep banging on that door He'll finally give up, get up and give me some food. You know, or like the story of the unjust judge who was finally just annoyed with that woman that he finally gave in to her. And people have gotten the idea, yeah, that's the way God is. That's the way the Father is. And we just need to keep hounding Him. Just keep bugging Him. Just keep asking again and again and again. And keep banging on the door. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what that's? That, that's just the opposite of what the Lord is teaching. You know how many Christians believe that's the case and, and, they, and they live their lives continually just trying to bang down walls in heaven? <laughs> and, just, and, and that's not what the Lord is teaching here. This is actually a contrast to the way the Lord is doing it. He said, if your friend will do it for you, even though it's inconvenient and all this stuff, how much more? If you go on to read the verses later, he talks about how the Father loves us so much more than a natural father. He is contrasting a human relationship, how even that will work in these situations. How much more will the Father respond to us? God is not putting you off. He is not putting me off. There is nothing I ask for, and then he kind of twiddles his thumbs for a few years. Or I'll get around to that. We'll see how much noise they can make. See how much pain they can endure. Man, that's just not the way our Father is. And, uh, and so again, we see a contrast to, what, to the way the Father is, uh, and we see um, the way that human beings oftentimes respond. Now, controlling our desires is very essential. If I want, the, want a certain thing, that's what I'm asking, that's what I'm seeking, that's what I'm knocking for. Uh, and if those desires are the wrong thing, they can be controlled. Now, there are some desires that we won't eliminate completely, but they still must be kept in check. How many understand, no matter how spiritual I am, I'm still going to want to eat now and then? Probably frequently <laughs> right I mean there are, there are natural desires that we have as human beings and I, I'm not implying that they're evil God designed us that way and he created us to want certain things but even those areas must be kept in check it, there are things that I can want that I can enjoy I can desire in life that basically should not consume me I shouldn't live for it 
it should be somewhere down on the list of what I live for, what I pursue and seek. And, and, and any one of us can allow a, a good thing or something that's not evil per se, we can allow it to creep up, creep up, creep up, and before you know it, that's what we think about when we wake up. That's what we think about when we go to bed. That's what we think about when we wake up at 3 in the morning. <laughs> that's what we think about all the day, every day. It's just a constant presence of, I'm always thinking about the next experience in a natural way, even though by itself it's not wrong. It just became sin. Yeah. Do, do we realize that some things that are not inherently evil can become sinful to us? They absolutely can. And they can begin to dominate our lives to the point where we live for it. And what happens at the same time is the presence and, and uh, the Word of God, His plan, it all gets relegated to a lower place. And what we're seeking, we're going to find, we're not going to experience God. And then we're going to call this Christianity. Kind of bored with it. Kind of, you know, don't really want to go to church. Don't really want to share the gospel. Don't really want to have a prayer life. And I guess that's just the way it is. No, that's not the way it is. We've just let ourselves be consumed with desires for other things. We've let ourselves be wrapped up and tied up in this world, which has no, no eternal uh, virtues which has no eternal value. And what a waste for us to live our days out on the earth for things that don't matter. Hmm. Now, I remember talking with a guy a, a number of years ago, and I was in, endeavoring to convince him and, and share with him the gospel. I wanted him to get saved. I wanted him to come into the kingdom of God. And, uh, and as we talked and shared, he, he agreed with everything basically that I said, told me, I know that you're right. But he was so concerned that if he became a Christian, there would be so many things that he wanted to do that he wouldn't be able to do them anymore. In fact, even even expressed that to me. I won't be able to do all these things that I want to do anymore. There's too much I have to give up if I give over to what you're saying, even though I know what you're saying is right. How many know that's the case that not every unbeliever, not every non-Christian uh, is that way because they don't see the light? As far as they don't know, uh, know that God loves them, know what Jesus did for them on the cross. Some people absolutely know. That may be the case in your life. You absolutely know what is. You know what the reality is. But there's a lack of them not willing to take the plunge. But here, here's the thing that, of course, many of us, we're trying to convince people of. Is that when you get your heart full of Him, your desires change. Just like that, there are so many things that you want to do today, you desire them, you live for them, but you know what, when God comes on the inside of you and you get full of Him, you're not going to want a lot of that same junk anymore. And how many know, if, you know, I mean, I think if, like if ice cream disappeared, that would be a bad thing, right? But what if I didn't want it? Then I wouldn't care if it existed or not. If I had no desire for it. Amen. And, uh, and likewise, there are so many things. Now, even in the life of a believer, I know believers are still tempted. And, you know, if we get our focus on the world, all that stuff still exists. But we cannot be duped into thinking, if I sell out my life to Him, if I give my thoughts and my mind and my emotion and everything that I am over to the Lord, I I'm going to be missing out on some things. I'm going to be disappointed in life. Not the case. 
Not the case. Because you'll be filled with new desires. You will want exactly what you can have. And that is the definition of a fulfilled life. So, well, why don't you go over to 1 John with me. 1 John. We should realize it's not just what we want that is, that is important. It is also what we don't want. I should be able to identify what I do want, what I live for, what I desire, what I pursue in life. I should also be able to identify what I do not want. And there are some things that I want today that I can choose to not want them anymore. I don't mean they'll give up easy. But there are some things we should not want. And if we find ourselves wanting them, we should stop wanting them. <laughs> Let's rec- recognize what is want-worthy and what is not. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, notice with me over here in verse 15. 1 John 2.15. It reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now think about that. That's quite a strong statement, isn't it? First he tells us what not to love. Don't love the world. Well, what do most people love? The world. The things in the world. He said, but if you do love that, love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. That's, that's quite a statement, I think. I think that's quite an interesting contrast that we haven't always recognized. That God and the world don't mix. You can't be full of God and full of the world. If the more world you have in you, the less God you have in you. The more God you have in you, the less world you have in, in you. And these things really don't mix. You can't stay with them. And the sooner you and I can recognize that, of the, that the things of this world are of no value. They're not. Even though that's a switch, that's a change. Because we live for stuff, we work for stuff, we put all of our energy and lives into stuff. The things of this world don't matter. One day, 100% of people will recognize this completely. We will all be well aware at one point that the things of this world do not matter. Hmm. You know, like they say, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? There's a, there's a point of time when we will all see absolutely sparkling clear the contrast between living in the love of God and living wrapped up in the things of this world. Now, if you think I'm, um, I'm for poverty or preaching scarcity, not at all. That's not the character and nature of God. And I'm not telling you if you live sold out to God, you're going to be poor. In fact, just the opposite's the case. We're not talking, this is not a poverty message. This is, this is not a, you're a bad person if you have a nice house message. <laughs> that, that's about the dumbest thing I could ever, I've ever heard of when you see the character and nature of God. It just really is. But what we should understand, there's nothing of this world that is of any value. It's not worthy of your desire. It's not worthy of setting your affection on. It's not worthy, worth being all stressed out about and people get 
tied up in and just can hardly live their lives or pulling out their hair because of all these natural things that don't matter. They are so unwant worthy. <laughs> and if we can get our perspective right and begin to be filled with the uh, be filled with God, his word, his plan, his spirit every day, it will start to become more and more clear in our lives as to what we should pursue and what we should just enjoy. Enjoying natural things is fine, but it's not what we live for. It's not what we pursue because what we go after, we get. Amen. And you can pursue the things of this world and get them and have an absence, have a big hole in your life, have an absence of God and His, the pleasure of God inside of you. Or we can pursue the things of God, make Him the reason that we live and move and have our being, and God will bless us with the rest. And He'll, he'll give us the natural things to enjoy. But in, in our minds, it'll be like, praise God, that's such a blessing. Yeah, I just want to spend time with you, Lord. It's truly, there's such a contrast. It is, they're not even comparable. I mean, how, how many would enjoy... How many guys would enjoy a new Ferrari? To <laughs> woo, we got a one woo. Uh, come on now. Sure, I mean a lot of us would enjoy buzzing around in that, parking it, and uh, pull, leaving again. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Whatever. I'm just throwing out illustration, good or bad. That would be great. I'll take one. You got one? I'll drive it. Uh, it's not even comparable to the presence of God. Being in a relationship. And if, if we say, well, I'm not sure about that. That's just because we don't see it clear. It's because we're probably full of the things of this world. And so we value them. We think they're more important. We think that's where my satisfaction and joy comes from. Not so. He, he went on to say, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, <laughs> the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This is a God perspective that we need to have. The things of this world are not worth your pursuit. They're not worth your effort and your energy. You know, Paul said in Romans 7, 18, he said, For I know that all that is in me, that is in my flesh, is nothing good dwells. All that is in me, everything in my flesh, what? Nothing good dwells. Say it with me. Everything in my flesh, all that is in my flesh, is not worth anything. Nothing good. Yeah. I know that's not really highly encouraging and motivational, but uh, you might want to consider thinking about that for the rest of the day. <laughs> There's nothing good in my flesh. Nothing my flesh wants is of any value. Nothing my flesh wants is any good. And start to make the shift so we set our sights on and our goal on things that are far, far, far better. All right? Recognizing the lack of value in this world will help us to contrast all that is worthy in God. This contrast is really vast. All right? And if we start to see and, and remove that lines of, the lines of, of uh, the blurred lines that are in between, it'll, uh, it, it'll help us to serve God without distraction, without confusion. Hebrews chapter 1 uh, is, uh, 
a chapter that shows us some things about the Lord Jesus, how he lived his life. Did you know, by the way, that when Jesus was here on the earth, he was the happiest person on the earth? He was absolutely the happiest person. Now, that that might seem hard to believe, especially if you've watched TV shows or, you know, movies that portrayed him. Oftentimes, he's very, very monotone and serious, and he's, he's yelling at the Pharisees one minute, and then he's, <laughs> which, of course, he did some of that, but, uh, but not exactly the kind of guy you want to have his life. But that's not true. He was, biblically speaking, we have a revelation, he was the happiest guy around. Think about that. Now, now here's what makes that kind of challenging in my mind. I believe it's so. He knew what, he knew what the end of his physical life was. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that kind of weigh on you? <laughs> like in a few years, uh, I've read Isaiah 53, and I totally hate that that's me. <laughs> and uh, I mean, wouldn't you kind of think about that all night? And, anyway, <laughs> apparently it did not drag him down. And he was the happiest guy around. Why was he that way? The scripture tells us right here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Oil. He had an anointing. He had a gladness that came on him from the Father more than everyone else. That's pretty cool. So it wasn't just, I'm trying to stir up my joy here. He, he had something on him constantly. He w- woke up. Even, at, you know, maybe even after a hard day of preaching and, uh, and ministering. And, t- and trust me, it was some work. But he would be tired. He had a physical body. You know, he fell asleep in the boat. And uh, he had all these things, but you know what he had the whole time? There was just something on the inside that said, I really like this. Woo, glory to God. <laughs> glory to me. <laughs> uh, but he was happy. He was a happy guy. He was happy more than everyone else. When everyone else was feeling good, he was feeling better than them. That's quite a statement. I mean, don't we want that? I mean, isn't that basically the desire of human beings? We want to have a happy life. We want to enjoy life. We want to enjoy everything we do. Jesus had that. Knowing that at the end of his, I mean, I don't know of anything like major bad coming up. <laughs> For me, I'm not going to the cross. Uh, hopefully not. I mean, not through persecution. I guess that's possible. <laughs> don't want to even go there. <laughs> but I'm not going to become anyone's sacrifice like Jesus was. That was the whole reason he came. Yet he was still happy. It's a powerful statement. Why was he? He loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. That's how he got that oil of gladness on him. He loved righteousness. He hated lawlessness. He recognized what was worthy of his want and what was not worthy. He recognized what he should live for, what he should pursue, what was of value, and what was not. You know, it's possible for someone to have all their natural, physical wants fulfilled and be miserable right in the middle of it. And likewise, it's possible for someone to not have much, although, again, I'm not preaching that, but to not have much in this, in this world and be so happy about life, be so full of joy. Their kids turn out good because they live in a joy-filled environment. 
Not a bunch of strife and anger and frustration because you're always angry and always upset with the way things are not, how they're not working and live angry at the government and live angry at the school and live angry at everything else. And No, no, no. That, that, how is that this? It's not. What should we do? We should love righteousness. What do, I, what do we mean? I love what's right. I... Uh, Remember the verse we, we used in the first part of this, this, this message um, from, from Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we're seeking after the right things of God, you get filled with them. And if you love, if you're filled with it, that's what thrills you. If you are thrilled with that, you pursue it, you love it, you get gladness on top of you too. But I need to hate lawlessness. I need to hate unrighteousness. I need to hate sin. I need to look at this world and everything of this world and say, ha, it's of no value. Nothing. As long as I've got God with, with me and I hear Him and I'm in relationship with Him all the day, I'm aware of His presence. I'm aware of His plan. I live to serve Him. Oh, it's so good. Then desires are right. Our pursuits will be right. We'll go after something and get it every single time. It'll be of God. It'll be anointed by God. It'll be blessed by Him. Praise the Lord. How can one love God and the world at the same time? How can one love God and all that is contrary to God at the same time? It's kind of like if you hate my wife, you and I are not going to spend a lot of time together. Why? We don't really like each other either. How is it possible for me to be, for me to love one person and then you hate that person, but I'm going to love you too? Not going to happen. And we think, you know, we think that's the case. Well, I really like this guy and I can't stand his wife. Well, you're not going to spend a lot of time together. Hallelujah. Likewise, again, how can we love the, everything in this world that is contrary to God and think, I just have a great relationship with Him? No, you don't. Not as close as you think you are. Your fellowship is not as rich as you might think that it is or want it to be. All right. Hebrews chapter 11. Take a right turn with me. Hebrews 11 and verse 15. Now, now, now before, we, before we go into that, I'm encouraged right now on the inside. The Lord is helping me to see things. And, and, it, it is, and it's because of this. Our goal, like I shared briefly at the beginning, is for you to connect with God all by yourself. If you don't need me to help you to get closer to God, fine. I don't, it doesn't take away from my call and my gift. If you can connect with the Lord all by yourself, good. That's the goal of this. A lot of, a lot of uh, churchianity is designed to make people dependent upon the church. Where, you, where, where everyone has to have the pastor to get healed. Everyone has to have a, a, a pastor, a church leader to get their prayers answered. And, and don't get me wrong, when there needs to be prayers of agreement and, and unity there, that is there. And we are there to help the person. But that's not the end result. That's not the goal where every, you know, kind of like an Old Testament where you have to go to the, had to go to the priest. 
You know, it, 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 it's, not, it, it's not like that. It's not supposed to be that way. The end result is you have such an awareness of God's love for you and you have such a fellowship and intimate relationship with Him for you that you get all your prayers answered, bam! And your life is about connecting and helping other people to enjoy that same relationship. And because it's true, many times people do need assistance along the way. But if it stays there and 10 years later, you still can't get a prayer answered without having someone else. Something's missing here. Huh? Do, do we recognize that? That the end result, we should be so tight with Him and things just work. The Word of God works for me. It's not just a principle that I adhere to. It's not just a statement of faith I have on a piece of paper. Yes, I believe this, this, and this, and I don't agree with these people over here. They believe this. No, this works for me. It shows up in my bank account. It shows up in my, in my medical checkup. It shows up in my marriage. shows up in my emotional well-being. If that's not the case, we're, we're missing it somewhere. I don't mean that as condemnation. There's something wrong with me. I'm saying there is a relationship with God available to you that is far beyond what you've experienced. And we may have substituted and put people on a pedestal where we say, I have to go to them. I have to go to Him. I'm going to show you this maybe next week. But God highly values, highly values those who run into circumstances of life and trouble in life and they immediately go to Him. They don't look everywhere around them for answers and security and natural help. But they have confidence in God that He will hear them. That He will answer and respond to them right here, right now. That's the way it's supposed to be. All right, Hebrews eleven fifteen. It says, and this is talking about Abraham and different uh, Old Testament patriarchs. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. I want, just want you to think about that concept. If they had what? If they had called to mind. If they had called to mind the place where they came from, they would then, because it's now in their mind, they would have opportunity to go back. If you and I are calling to mind things that are ungodly, things that are unrighteous, things that are of our past outside of Him, all we're doing is opening opening a big honking fat door so we can walk through it and go back to where we were instead of where we are. If I will, I believe the principle works across the board, if I will call to mind what can be in Him, every one of His promises, every, every good thing that He has said about me, if I will call that to mind, call it to mind, bring it into my mind, what's happening? I'm now going to have opportunity to experience it. I'm going to have opportunity to go there. And what I'm calling to my mind again and again and again, whether it's things of this world or it's the things of God, that is preparing the way for me to go to that place. How many know what we put on our minds is essential to where we're going? Thank you, Lord. Let me give you one more scripture and then we'll close. And then we'll get into some presence here today. It's Romans 16. It's Romans 16. It goes right along with this. 
I trust right now and I pray that you're calling to mind the Word, the presence of God. We're not here just to present a theory. I'm not here just to get my message out, to get my sermon done. We're here to connect with Him. With a God who loves us and gave His Son. Gave His very best so that we could be in union with Him. And if we're here and calling to mind so that this end is here that we could experience Him, then we're right on track. And your day, your time spent here today will be of so much value. Unfortunately, there are many people across our world going to church on a Sunday and they really don't benefit from it. They're not any better off for going. They feel their conscience is, you know, alleviated. They feel a little bit better about themselves because they didn't flesh out and sleep in. But that's about it. And I want so much more. I want so much more for my life. I don't want to be a religious Christian. I want so much more for you. I don't want you coming here out of obligation and duty. I mean, if you're serving, fill up, fill up your time slot. But <laughs> As a general rule, I don't want us to come here. I have to. Man, we're, we're going to meet with God. We're going to, to connect with Him. Romans 16, 19 says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. What should we be? Wise in what is good. We have a depth of understanding. We know what's going on concerning good. We've pursued it. We live for it. We desire what is good. And we are simple. You know, like we say sometimes, that person's kind of, they're, they're, they're simple-minded. <laughs> what do we mean? They don't know a whole lot. That's the way we should be concerning what? Evil. When it comes to unrighteous, unholy things, the things of this world, let's not be experts. Hmm. Let's not be, I don't want to be an expert on the devil. <laughs> you know, some people, all they think about is demon possession and people's weird manifestations. I don't need to be an expert on that. I don't need to be an expert on the things of, the, you know, unless you're, if you're, if you're a doctor, fine, but if you're not a doctor, you don't need to be an expert on every disease, especially if you have symptoms. Don't study it out. Study out the Word. Everybody with me? See, we're full of whatever we're going after. And some people make themselves worse because they're so knowledgeable of every wrong thing that can happen. We should be simple concerning evil. I don't need to know what's going on everywhere. Hmm. I don't need to know every bad thing that's happening in the world. Did you hear about such and such? No. Oh, well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're in such an information time, the information age. There's so much access to a lot of stuff going on all around the world. Unfortunately, a lot of it is not good news. And it doesn't help me to know everything. Do you know that that's even the case with God? 
I'll, we'll share this another time, I guess, but there are scriptures that indicate that God was caught off guard by certain evil behavior. Where he said, it never entered into my mind that they would do this. He's talking about people sacrificing their children and, and stuff like, stuff, things of that nature. No, he said, well, doesn't God know everything? Of course, but I guess he doesn't look at everything. He doesn't set his mind on everything. He does exactly what Philippians 4 says and sets his mind on things that are good and just and noble, right? Just like we're told to do. God doesn't walk around heaven, whatever that looks like, and meditating on everything that's going wrong in the world. He sets his mind on things that are right, things that are good. Praise the Lord. And so what are we doing? Let's be simple concerning evil, but let's be experts when it comes to the presence, the plan of God, the goodness of God, His love for us, every good thing that He's doing, that's what we pursue, that's what we give our lives to. Amen, amen, amen. Father, we're so thankful today for Your goodness, thankful for what You're doing in our lives. You are so, so, so much better than anything that we could ever experience or know of this natural, physical, ungodly world. There is not even a comparison. So today, Father, we we set our minds on you. We set our hearts and we set our affection on you. And we thank you that as we're filled with more and more of your presence and of your glory, we start to see things more clearly. We understand your amazing plan. We set our minds on you today. Thank you for the working of your spirit in our lives. Jesus' name, amen. Amen.